Welcome to the Living the Dream Podcast with Curveball. If you believe, you can achieve. Welcome to Living the Dream with Curveball, a podcast where I interview guests that will teach, motivate, and inspire. Today, I am joined by a special guest. He is a partner in Shane Salk's production. Shane Salk is an award-winning audio creator, producer, and sound designer. Shane's product has reached over 200 million impressions, spanning over 150 countries across the world. So we're going to be talking to him about everything that he's doing, how he got started in acting, and anything else he would like to talk about. Shane, thank you so much for joining me today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Why don't you start off by telling everybody a little bit of background about yourself? All right. Yeah. I um, I was born in Seattle, Washington, and I actually, my first love and everything was uh, theater, and I went to school for acting. I moved down to Orange County, California for that, which was quite a culture shock. I got to say, I didn't do very well the first couple of years there, just socially, just anxiety and stuff. But after I got out of school, I listened, uh, growing up, I listened to a lot of old time radio shows, Dragnet, Suspense, Gunsmoke, I could go on and on. So I always had a love of, of audio. And when I graduated, I had the opportunity to partner and create a, a show in 2008 and my love is is the idea of taking the medium and taking a medium and especially with audio and bringing it into the mainstream and uh not not sitting back in your laurels and going well this is what it is this is what it can be no you can't do that you can't do that i want to push those boundaries and go well i can make lord of the rings just audio that can happen it's not it's not a uh a, a stagnant medium then i i been acting. I, I uh, performed with Disney um, internationally for a little while. Moved to New York because I was very tired of LA. And then me, uh, I produced a, a version of A Christmas Carol that was all audio with my producing partner, Bill Holmes. And um, that went really well. We had some really great people in it. Huge animation people, Maurice LaMarche, Rob Paulson, who as a kid, I would watch them do Pinky in the Brain, and they're just these iconic voices, so having them, being able to work with them was a little jaw-dropping to me. I wasn't quite sure how to handle it. And so over the course of many, many years, I've always been trying to elevate this audio medium. And then I, I've been uh, trying to get a company started in projects, and I wanted to do it right. I didn't want to do it just sort of the way I've done other things, where it's good, but it's kind of fly by the seat of your pants, make it work with nothing. So after, after a number of years of trying to get resources and stuff together, um, I had the opportunity to open up a studio in Los Angeles and create Carcerum, um, which is our, our current show. It's a fantasy fiction audio series, full cast of over 120 people, cinematic immersive sound design, original music, original scripts. It's kind of a mix between Lord of the Rings and Princess Bride, and it is more like a movie than some movies I've seen. And that's really what we want to do, 
is uh, bring a new kind of entertainment to people in a new form. I mean, it's an old medium. Radio is an old medium. But uh, we have such new technology that people aren't utilizing. And I think that people take for granted how much the audience can imagine and how much the audience will come with you when you when you lead them somewhere. You don't have to hold them by the hand and step, you know, tiptoe around everything. You can, the audiences are smart. So that's where I am now. I'm in, I'm in Los Angeles and we produced uh, Car Serum and uh, it's out on podcast platforms and I run a recording studio, which I never thought I would do in my whole life. I never considered me being a running a recording studio and knowing how all these buttons work and knowing how to remote in all these people. But, you know, when you when um, running the studio is the reason that I get to make these this art that I want to make, you figure out how to run a recording studio to do the other stuff that you love. Well, what is your philosophy when you are writing and designing audio? What philosophy are things that you go by when you're doing that my my biggest philosophy with um with when it's writing when it's sound designing uh, i was fortunate to be able to have a, a number of writers help with this we had a writer's weekend and some other people help with scripts and i always say write the movie don't write for audio because one of the things that i find and i find this in tv i find this in comedy i i do a lot of comedy um i was the genie with disney so comedy is sort of a thing um i find that people write for the audience not to understand what's going on so when you're writing for audio people think oh well how are they going to know what the whole environment looks like and i say it doesn't matter unless it's very specific to your story they can see whatever they want i create an atmosphere i create a a you know, the, the soundscape. But if you see a, a different forest than that I see, that's okay. And there's nothing wrong with that. And we're both correct. But I, I say write for the movie and let the sound designer deal with what all that, that stuff is. And when sound designing, everything is very blocked out. It's, I can, I could visually tell you exactly where everybody is and what's happening and when there's fights or big sword fights we choreograph out those sword fights now do you see exactly what i see in your mind when you hear these things absolutely not and that's okay but it's not my job to get you to see what i see it's my job to get you to imagine something that makes sense to you and, uh, and pardon me for keep saying the word see, but it's, it's all in, in my head and in people's heads, it's your imagination and whatever happens, it's in there. You're not looking at anything, but your mind's eye is very active. Well, I think it's perfect that you focus on the audio medium because being blind, I depend on a lot of audio. So it's real good that you're producing your stuff out on audio like that. Thank you. I, I, I mean, it really is made for the visually impaired. I, I have friends. I'm I big in the voiceover world. I've done, you know, TV. I was on American Dad. I've done big video games. And I have friends who do audio descriptions for movies. But my whole thing is you don't 
if if I do my job right, you don't need it. You can imagine exactly you. It's a movie made to not watch, and the sounds put you into a place and they immerse you in an environment. And I think it's um, one person told me it's like reading a book without having to read, <laughs> because there that's it. That's how it activated their mind, which I thought was very interesting. And, and it's so funny because we'll have people, I'll have people come up to me and say, oh, when they were running up that hill, I just saw this and that. That's what happened, right? And I'm like, yes, that is absolutely what happened. And I had never thought of a hill. <laughs> I don't know how to sound design a hill versus a flat ground. But if that's what you see, you're correct. You're always correct. Well, speaking of voiceover, what advice or recommendations would you give a person trying to break into the voiceover world. Voiceover is an is an ever-changing world. As as anything, take classes. It's very funny because a lot of people come you know, I teach classes, my partner teaches classes. I think Bill Holmes is one of the best teachers in Los Angeles if not the country, but definitely Los Angeles because I've I know a lot of them. And as he says and as a lot of people say, it's not about how good your voice is. It really comes down to acting. There are people that come in and say, well, I people say I have a great voice for voiceover. And I go, great, can you act? Even for commercials, it's about, you know, having a conversation with somebody, even though you're selling newspapers or flights to Antarctica, the way you um, get people to buy those is to just have a conversation with them. Nobody likes being told what to do. So how do you have a commercial without telling people that they should go buy something? Um, and that's, that's, those are the tricks as to if you don't want to, you know, reading out loud half an hour a day is very helpful. It gets, you know, we don't read out loud. It gets you used to the sound of your own voice and having things in front of you. That's the other thing. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's work. Once you get it down, it's a lot easier, but it's not, uh, don't get into it for the money. I'll say that. Don't get into it for the money because it is very hard. There's a lot of people out there. The industry is always changing. Things go union. They go non-union. There's always somebody that's willing to do something for less. So it's a lot of fun. It's the best entertainment community I've ever been in. And I've done theater and film and just voiceover is just so welcoming. Um, but do it because it's fun, not because you think you're going to make a whole lot of money. When COVID hit, your beer, your business was less than a year old. How did you survive and pivot and manage to make it through the pandemic? Yeah, that was, uh, that was actually quite a, challenge and a, and a, and a scary time. Um, like I said, I'd never run a business before I moved from New York to open this studio so we could produce this show and run the business to be able to afford to live, pay rent, all of those pay bills, all those things. And when COVID hit pretty quickly, companies, uh, clients, you know, all these people did not allow people to come in and record in studios. Even if we were very clean, you know, SAG said nobody can go into studios. And so all of our business stopped. It was, it was scary, but we, I, I don't, uh, 
I don't believe very often that there's not a solution or something that you can do. So we, we were still producing car serum um, and we started being able to record remotely. And I set up a number of systems where people, if they had a good enough sound microphone and stuff at their own home, we could still record them and engineer from our end so we could continue the process. Townsend Coleman was the first person we did that with. And uh, he's he was the original voice of the tick and all these things. So he really helped test out the systems, which ended up working great. And throughout the pandemic, we constantly, while we were working on car serum and we would have phone calls randomly from people saying, Hey, how do we do this? Can we do this? I just would always say we can do that and then figure out a way to do it. We got very discouraged and, and down at the beginning of the pandemic. And we started doing live game shows because my partner, Bill had always wanted to host the old match game. And so I said, well, let's figure out how to do that. So we had some cameras here and started doing research and had there were free programs and we started producing live game shows and funny enough because of those game shows that we did for fun to keep ourselves entertained to keep ourselves from going out of our mind because our bubble was very very small it was me bill and his family basically because we had people who who were very were elderly or under one and so we had to be very safe so but in this we started doing these game shows and I learned about all of this different routing and all these programs and all these ways to solve these problems. And then when we got a phone call from a couple clients going, Hey, we can start sort of doing some things again. Are you SAG? Um, are you a SAG studio? Because we have very strict cleaning protocols and we got all the, the filters and the again, everything to keep everybody safe. We were able to do remotes and in-house a little bit here and there. It was just, we prepared for months and months and months for the arrival of the opportunity. It was, it was the, well, this is the situation we're in. How do we make the best of this situation? And fortunately, by the grace of God, we were able to contain ourselves, keep everybody safe and allow production, ours and other people's to continue to the best of, of any ability during the, the, uh, the pandemic. So that's how it was just sheer willpower. You work with actors like Jane Lynch and Neil Flynn. How were you able to get them to work on some of your products and what was it like to work with them? Yeah, they're, I will say both of them are fantastic. Jane Lynch, you know, from Glee and, and Marvelous Miss Maisel. Um, my partner uh, and, and Neil Flynn, you know, from Scrubs or The Middle. Um, he was the janitor in Scrubs. And um, my partner, Bill, is, uh, we have the exact same birthday, September 22nd, but he is uh, quite a few years older than me. Um, and he has been doing voiceover for a very long time. He comes from Chicago. So a lot of these voiceover people that we have, like I mentioned, Maurice LaMarche, Rob Pulse, and some of these, uh, we have like three or four different Ninja Turtles in this thing. Uh, Wonder Woman, Grey Delisle. And so Bill has known these people for years. He's kind of came up in the industry with them. And they really like 
working with him. They just like him as a person. And we did a Christmas carol back in the day and people heard that and were like, well, why didn't you call me? So this time we called anybody and everybody and they all jumped. We did not pay what these people are worth. We paid, you know, SAG minimums and, but all of them did it because they like us, they liked the project and they had a great time doing it. We create a very fun environment and people really respond to it. Jane Lynch actually Bill had known in Chicago and a sort of like you're ready at the right time. A friend of hers called us and said, uh, my friend Jane needs a recording studio for something. Is there any chance that we could use yours? And we said, absolutely. Come on over. And she said, she was so nice, so friendly. And she says, if there's anything I can do for you guys, let me know. And we go, well, actually, <laughs> Jane Lynch, would you have any interest in doing our show? And she said, absolutely. And we gave her a choice of what part and she picked the biggest one. And we just brought her in for a day and, and she had so much fun and we had so much fun. You can actually, there's, there's like interviews with her that we have behind the scenes. And it's, it's amazing watching these, uh, people work because you really get to know why they are successful. They come in, they enjoy themselves. They're not always, you know, they're not worried about, am I doing it right? Is, is what's this, what's that? And Bill and I really take, cause we did not cast, we didn't write men and women into the, any of the roles. It was whoever we thought would fit that role. And it constantly changed all the time. And so when Jane came in, we had her come in and, and she started doing her thing. And we're like, okay, so this is who she is. This is how she sees the character. Let's adjust and, and play. All we did was play. We had the, the director, Cameron Crowe, who kind of fell into our laps um, and became a friend of ours, uh, come in and do a part. And it was so very funny because the, f uh, the part originally was written as like a very strong and like mean guy. And Cameron does not have that voice at all. So while he's in there, we're literally changing the scene. We're changing the character to fit. And I think it's one of the best scenes. It's so funny, uh, but it fits the actor. And that's the, that's the fun of it. And that's why these people who have the big names and, and stuff, are so good is because they just come into play and we adjust and we say, well, let's try to take it in this direction. Then they start playing in that direction. And if, again, we just make such a fun environment, I think people really respond to that. And we had the great fortune. I have the great fortune of having Bill who has known a lot of these people for a very long time. Now, when you mentioned SAG, I heard you mention that, that, mm -hmm acronym a couple of times. Tell everybody what that means for those who might not know. Yeah, SAG is the Screen Actors Guild. It's uh, it's actually SAG-AFTRA now. It's two unions that move together and they are the acting union. They dictate um, like safety protocols and minimums uh, for how much you can pay people for different projects and things like that. So um, it's a uh, yeah, it's just an acting union. What were some of the mental challenges that you faced when you started up your business? <sighs> that is um, quite a heavy question. <laughs> I it's a it's a very important one too. Um, 
I have struggled with with uh, anxiety and depression throughout m- many years. Um, and I've fortunately got myself to a place where medication and anything else that and, and self care and knowing myself that um, I'm in a very fairly stable place. But it was definitely when I started this business, I didn't know what I was doing. I trusted myself to figure it out. And that's a big thing. It nothing, absolutely nothing went the way I thought it would. And I was teaching, I was doing, I was teaching voiceover classes to make money. We were engineering jobs to make money and we still had to pay rent on the studio. Um, things didn't pick up as, as quickly as I'd hoped. And then when the pandemic hit, I was really scared. And at the same time of, of trying to make the studio run, I, we were having to produce car serum, which is the fun part, but there was so much riding on it, what it felt like was so much was riding on every single day that I woke up and came into the studio or every single decision I made um, designing car serum that there were definitely times when I, uh, I had to talk myself down just off of like, you know, calm yourself down, take some time. Um, I'm a very social person. Um, and when the pandemic hit, you can't, see people you can't go and and hang out and relax that way so there were times when it was 12 15 17 hours in the studio all at the same time so i had to remind myself to you know pull back self-care that kind of thing and that while it feels that everything because i again i moved from new york to la i lived in a back house um, with no kitchen, I, I felt like I moved here and started this business and here we are. Um, and I've been working towards it for so long. It felt like it was either make or break that everything I was doing was make or break. And that was a, it was a huge struggle. And, and still, you know, there are days, (laughs) there are days when I struggle with that, that idea of if this doesn't work, if, if, it doesn't sell if uh if people don't like it then i'm just a fraud and a failure and and nothing nothing was worth it and i i'd been working towards this for 10 years and it didn't work and maybe i was wrong this whole time that this is a stupid medium and nobody cares which i had heard for the last 10 years from different people i mean you hear so many negative things but i keep reminding myself and I had, I was very fortunate to have friends who I could call and go, Hey, I'm having one of those days. And then they remind me of all of the things that I had done, all of the, the work I had put into things that it wasn't just a fly by night, you know, idea. It's that you've been, you know, you've done these 50 things that you don't even think about, but every day you wake up, you did those 50 things so you could wake up and be where you are. I, I had to remind myself because I know that that uh, especially for entrepreneurs and stuff, you can, you know, you can gain weight, you can become very unhealthy because of the hours and, and it's depressing. So I, I worked very hard uh, starting in January to, you know, eat healthy and, and focus my energy on something else besides, uh, besides the project and the company. Well, again, 100% of my interest was in the company and focus was on the company. I realized that if I didn't have again, something else, even me cooking, me cooking healthy foods or, or whatever, learning what the heck healthy foods was. 
I mean, I would, I would eat a salad, think it was healthy and not think about how much salad dressing I was putting on things like that. But even something small like that focusing was making the project better because I was in a happier place because I didn't have to spend 24 hours focusing only on this one thing that I felt was a make or break in my entire life. It was, it's, it was, it, it was, and continues to be a, a huge challenge. But I will say that even at this point, I'm very, very proud of all of the work that I've put in and my team's put in and the things that I've accomplished. So if for some reason nothing ever happens, if the, if the, my business doesn't work, if the studio just stops working, if, if nobody hears the show, I can still look at it and go, I'm really proud of, of the, the work I did and the product products I put out there and what I've been able to do. And I don't rely on awards or accolades or anything like that to define my worth and my um, success. Don't get me wrong. I would like all of the awards and all of the accolade, but it just doesn't, it doesn't, uh, whether you get them or don't, whether I get them or I don't get them, I'm very proud of what I've done. So let's talk about audience building. When you're writing fantasy or sci-fi, what's the best way? How do you build an audience? It's a very good question too. Um, it's hard. When the pandemic hit, a lot of people started doing podcasting. Um, a lot of people started, I mean, started doing anything they could do from their home. My and so podcast or audio series kind of became a buzzword in some circles where they're like, oh, great, you have one too now. And I've been doing this for a very long time. But I, I really believe that you build an audience from sort of the ground up. You don't go after large groups of people to get your, your name or your product out there. You go after a small community. You go after a few of your friends that really, you know, love this kind of medium. You go to Facebook groups and go, Hey, I know you 20 people really like fantasy. Check this out. It's kind of a mix between Lord of the Rings and princess bride. If they, if they cling on to it, those are the people that are going to get really in invested in it. And then they're going to spread it to their friends. It doesn't happen overnight, but slowly, but surely things will grow and grow and cream rises to the top, as they say, which thinking about it is a weird way because you always want to mix your coffee, but that's a whole other thing. But you, you find the small communities, you find the, the microcosms, um, the D and D D and D community love this show. The, for for fantasy you find you know the the fantasy writer groups the sword the sword um fighter groups any small group of people that would be interested in your show reddit there's so many places to reach out to people um sci science fiction is the same way don't just post it on your facebook and hope everybody sees it find the small communities the meetup groups the all the kinds of things where you can make personal relationships with people because those are the people that are going to really feel your pro your, your show, your writing, your product, your whatever. And, uh, you, you want active audience members. You don't want passive ones who just sort of don't care. 
You want people to really feel for it. And then because they're going to go out and they're going to talk about it. That's how I feel about it. The more people you can get talking and really love what you're doing, the better. And it grows and grows and grows from there. For somebody trying to do an autistic endeavor, what do you feel is the biggest downfalls or the biggest mistakes they might make? I think that there are two um, and they're similar. It's people don't trust the audience. I mentioned this earlier. It's that when people, uh, nobody likes being talked down to. So don't, don't go, well, I'm going to go walk over to this red door and leave and then open the door and leave. If you're saying all those things, you're, you're talking down to your audience and you don't need to. And trust your own design. Trust the style. If your style is that, that's fine. But do it because you like that style, not for the necess- because you think it's necessary. Um, there, is, there are no rules with this. It's a brand new day um, in entertainment. And people are still trying to figure out exactly what, how to do it. So if you're trying to do um, an audio endeavor listen to other ones, get the idea of what your style is and trust yourself and trust your audience. Um, there's a big thing to me, which is, um, self-awareness. So let's say you're doing something and, and you, you design something and you listen to it. Really ask yourself if you like it, if you think it's clear. And if you say yes, are you saying yes, because you really want it to be clear Or are you saying yes, because it really is self-awareness will help everything. And then if somebody else comes along and says, I don't like that, you don't have to argue with them. You can go, okay, well I do. Or if somebody says, I don't like that, you, if you check yourself and go, yeah, I could see that being a problem. All right. I'm going to see if I can make myself even happier with it too, but it doesn't happen overnight. And I will say, and I will say this, and I've said this before other places. And I'll say it again. When I design, I've been designing for a long time, this kind of thing. I have almost breakdowns every time I sit down in front of a a blank episode because it feels so overwhelming. You don't know where to start. I used to years ago, I used to sit down in front of it and then I'd sit there for half an hour and then I'd get up and I'd scream and I'd yell into a pillow because I was like, how are I, how am I supposed to do this? This doesn't, I, uh, and then you go back and you make something amazing, just one sound effect at a time. That's all it is. So don't feel that if you're frustrated that you're wrong or you shouldn't be doing it. It's completely normal to be very frustrated right off the bat. Just take a breath and uh, start with one thing at a time. When you first started your business, talk about something that you did not expect to happen that happened. Well, I, I, funny enough, I did not expect it to be so hard to get people to come in to use the studio. Again, I've, I'm around voiceover a lot. There are a lot of people that I know. And for some reason I thought that, oh, you know, we open this and people will just start telling people to come in and we'll be fine. I also didn't expect I mean, people are going to hear this and go, how did you not expect these things? But 
I didn't expect the tiny, the tiny expenses all the time. Fortunately, we had a, a small budget to do these things and, and stuff, but like we had a, uh, you know, I needed to run wires through the walls because we didn't have the right ones. I'm like, okay, we'll just get some wires and they're more expensive than you think. And then you realize you have to get, you know, plugs that are the right. And then you have to get this and then your board break, like our entire board broke. So we had to get a new board. And if you know anything about recording studios, the board is pretty much the thing that makes it work. And then when we started getting um, and, and again, I'm teaching, I'm, I'm doing anything I can to make money for me because everything we're making from the studio is going back into the studio. I don't know why I didn't expect that to happen. I just, you know, you, you hear all the stories about, you know, it takes three years for a business to be profitable and successful and to stick around. And somehow in your mind you go, yeah, but that's not mine. We'll be fine. But how much money that you would make that had to go back into the company was a little, um, my, I, I, because I wasn't able to pay myself a lot. Um, and still now to this day, I don't very much at all. Uh, it, it does kind of wear at my self-worth a little bit sometimes when I'm like, well, how, I don't know how I'm surviving. I'm good. savings and everything else, anything I can do, especially during the pandemic, because I couldn't do a lot of the things that I used to to make money. I just, I, I don't know. I didn't expect it to be as financially hard as it was. I expected it to be a lot of work. I expected to be here very, very long hours. I expected to have to learn a lot because I'd never been, I'd never done this before. And to learn how all this mechanical stuff works and, and all of these things, I expected all of that. But somehow I just did not expect how much to keep the business going the those costs to be I, I yeah i feel silly saying it because it seems so obvious but i really i really have a hard had a hard time going all of this needs to go back into the company and i can't do anything about it and the company's great and people are like oh the company's you know the studio's so busy and i say yes it is but i don't know how i can feel sustained at the same time, but you get there. You, you, again, you look around and you see how much you've done with how little, and you can be really proud of that. Talk about the ideal person that you would like to work with or, or the ideal person that you would work with that might walk into your studio. The ideal person to work with would give me a lot of money and then leave. That would be the ideal. <laughs> as a as a as an artist, as somebody who who likes working with people in that capacity, producing um, the ideal person is somebody who has ideas um, that there's no ego. I think I think one of the biggest things that kills art is ego. Um, I think most of most of, you know, movies and, and audio shows and improv groups and all these things that sort of work and then stop. I think that people have egos about it. It's like, well, that was my idea. Well, that was my idea. Well, I did these three things, but you're getting credit for just as much as I'm getting credit for. And I think it, if you take all of that away, 
the ideal person is going, everything we do here is I'm putting my all into it. You're putting your all into it. And whatever product we get out of it is the best thing that we can do. Somebody who is just all about the product. That's all about the, the having fun while doing it. That will come in and play regardless of what they're doing. If they're acting, if they're producing, if they're, you know, coming and saying, oh, I really want to work with you on a new game show, or I want to work with you on this or that. It's just somebody who is, wants to, wants to not just go, well, here's the idea you go do it. But somebody who's, you know, self-motivated in terms of like, oh, this is what I did. What do we think? And that if someone, if it's like, well, I don't really like it because of these reasons, there's no ego about it. It's like, yeah, okay, I get you. And then we move on and we find something else that works and everything is everybody's. I'm, I'm, I love collaborating. I think it's, I think it's one of the best the joys of everything that I do is collaborating with amazing people. And the, the best people to work with are the ones that want to collaborate, to want to work with you, that want to get the best product and have the most ridiculous time doing it. If you're not having fun, do something else. That's my thought. We kind of talked about this a little before, but I know a lot of people in the blind community and in your bio, you talked about how your work is entertainment for the blind community. Kind of expand on that. And if there are going to be any people listening, let them know how this entertainment medium would be good for them to check out if they're blind. Absolutely. Um, the, the, everything growing up, listening to the old time radio stuff. Again, there's no visuals. It's not TV. I saw worlds in my head. I pictured people. I could turn off the lights and I'd still be in Dodge city in Gunsmoke. And I found it to be, I'm, I'm dyslexic. I'm, I'm very dyslexic. Um, reading is very hard and I'm very, very slow at it, but I love stories. And so when I started my first show in 2009, I wanted to create the most realistic space we could. And it's not audio description. It is a movie for someone who's not looking at a screen. You hear the, the battles, you hear the sword fights, you, you're in the environment, you put on headphones and turn off your lights. You're for carcerum. You're in the middle of a monster fight. You're in the middle of a sword battle. You're in the middle of a magical forest. There's no, it, it's, it's a medium that really can unite people because it's not, you know, the blind audience, they have audio descriptions for movies. Here is a movie you don't need audio descriptions for. Instead of taking entertainment and modifying it for a blind audience, literally created something for the blind audience and for the seeing audience at the same time. It, it's, it's not, again, it's, it's not modifying something. It's not taking a book and then having somebody read it to you. It's not taking something and modifying it for another, another audience. It's taking something and going, this is for you. I have a, a number of, of visually impaired um, fans from past shows. And I had one of them reach out to me and ask what the characters were wearing. And I said, what do you mean? 
And she said, well, I mean, are they wearing suits? And I think she meant suits of armor because it's fantasy. And I said, well, what do you picture them wearing? She goes, well, I thought they were wearing suits, but is that what they're wearing? And I say, you're absolutely right. She goes, well, isn't there artwork or something? And I said, we have artwork, but all of the artwork is so, it's everybody in silhouette. We have a, a very pretty poster of just silhouettes of two people and a horse walking through a forest with a red background as a sunset, but you don't see what they're wearing. You don't see what they look like. Anything that you see in your mind is correct. It's not guesswork. And even if we do have um, visuals one day, it's not canon. It's the right thing to see is what you imagine. You can imagine somebody totally different than I imagine, and you're absolutely right. And that's one thing that I love about this medium is because you're a better designer than I am. If you picture these elegant clothing, I could never make elegant clothing out of anything. I'm a terrible seam sewer person, but I'm going to take credit because you saw it on my production. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I really do want to hear. I would love to hear more from the visually impaired community about their experience. Um, I, like I said, I, I hear some, um, but I really do have them in mind while designing all of this. Hopefully some of my friends will chime in after listening to this interview. I would love to hear them. Please reach out. I seriously, I, I, you know, you can find us at Carcerum, the series, um, on any social media, uh, that's C A R C E R E M the series, or just find me on Instagram. I don't care. Just, I, I really want to hear from people. Well, let's talk about podcasting. Okay. Give out some podcasting tips that somebody with a recording studio. And I know in your bio, you said you could touch on that. So yeah, give us some tips. Oh, there's so many, so many tips. Um, if you're just starting out, don't expect your first episode to be your best episode. That's one of them. And you chime in here too, because you've been doing this podcast for a little while and I'm sure you have some stuff, but um, there are so many people that think that that they have to get everything perfect before they launch their podcast. And I will say that's not true, depending on what kind of podcast you have. For Carcerum, I felt we needed to get that first episode really perfect because it's a continuous story. That first episode leads to the second, leads to the third, and so on. So everybody's going to start at episode one. But for talk shows, um, depending on uh, current event shows, your first episode, you're learning just as much as everybody else is. And so many people that I've talked to just say, well, I'm not quite ready. I'm not quite ready. And, and it's kind of saying, when will you be ready? Also, I have a buddy who does a podcast um, called Actor CEO. It's about actors. And the first interview he ever did was with me. And we did it in, in an old apartment of mine. And it never aired. I don't think he ever put it out because he realized after doing that interview, he's like, I can, he, he can interview better. He, he has other things that he wants to cover. So you don't have to put it out right away in that aspect. You record something and you're like, I, I want my podcast to go in a different direction. You can do that, but don't just sit and, uh, 
Just sort of wait for something else to happen to make you do it. It's on you. Also, there's a lot of technology out there. If you want to record a certain way, if you want to, I mean, I would say get a nice microphone. You're, I don't know what microphone you're on, but you sound really good to me. But get a, get a, get a nice mic. Don't just use your computer microphone. Invest in yourself a little bit because, uh, it's, it's going to pay off for you. And the biggest piece of advice, and I said it earlier, is if you stop having fun doing it, get out. Because if it's not fun, it's not worth it. Yeah, I have the Sennheiser MK4 when I graduated broadcasting school last year. I was on Gravy for the Brain, which is a voiceover site. And this was the top mic they recommended. So this is what I went and bought to do nice. podcasting and radio DJing. And I will say you're absolutely correct on what you were saying that even in my podcast, I've evolved and I've learned even down to the editing. There's different plugins that I didn't have before to kind of do things a little better, make it sound a little better. There's you know, a little more confidence. I didn't believe I would get this guess and now I've got them and I've learned how to do things better. So my podcast should show how I've evolved and the different guests that I've gotten. Because when I first started, I didn't know how I was going to get guests, but now I'm interviewing former NFL players, people like you, people that if you would have told me I was going to be interviewing 10 months ago, I would have laughed at you. So what you're saying is perfect. And I think you you should evolve and, you know, your episodes should show how you evolved. However, that look, what whatever that looks like for you. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like you said, you know, a lot of people are scared to say, well, how am I going to get this guest or that guest? Just ask them. They, they could say no, they could ignore you completely, but there's a chance they'll say yes. I mean, I used to get actors for things just because I would ask. Michael Emerson, who, uh, if anybody saw Watch Lost, he was the Ben, the leader of the others. He's, he's an amazing, amazing actor. And I went to an event, which he was at, and I happened to run into him and ask him if he would. And I just said, you know, would you be willing to do this thing for me? Just, I'm doing this short kind of pilot radio thing. And he said, absolutely, call my people. And sure enough, a couple months later, we recorded it just ask there's no harm in it and and you're worth it somebody said the other day and i thought this was so brilliant whatever you're worth don't forget to add tax and a tip and i thought that was really really fun and clever because everybody you know underestimates themselves and you're like yeah but don't forget to add how amazing you are to even try you know what succeeding is easy failing is really hard so it's trying is the worst. It's terrifying every single day. But you you look around and you see people who you feel that other people are succeeding around you. And you're like, yeah, that's really easy to do. It's, it's when things aren't going well and you still get up and try. That's when you can look and you go, I know I should be proud of myself now. I may not feel it, but knowing it in my head is at least part of the battle. Absolutely. Let's talk about some current or upcoming projects that you're working on that you would like people to know about. Absolutely. I mean, I, 
car serum is the the biggest one right now again c-r-c-e-r-e-m um, it's a podcast you can find it on all those podcasting platforms um car serum the series on instagram and facebook and and twitter and all those things too and carcerumtheseries.com you can find all of the info with behind the scenes uh interviews and things like that as well we also are still doing um we, we're we cut back a little bit but we do do live game shows here you can find that at crap tv uh dot online you can search crap tv c-r-a-p tv dot online on any social media platforms and twitch and all these things and again we just have a lot of fun doing those things so you can follow us on facebook or on twitch to to know when we go live for those things i mean fun again everything i say if it's not fun stop doing it and i i really try to hold myself to that it's not fun every single second of every single day sometimes it's downright miserable but overall i'm having a lot of fun doing some really silly things and as long as i can sustain that i think i'm doing okay well speaking of fun let me throw another question out there yeah it might not be necessarily not fun for example i'll take me it's not that doing my radio shows being on iheart is not fun Mm -hmm. but sometimes it could be that okay this is fun but somewhere i have to make some kind of money and see some kind of return all i'm doing is putting out money you know for example spend four hundred dollars on the microphone spend this much this month for that and, and it's like okay, this is fun, but at some point you kind of get down because you're not, you're not getting anything or you're like, okay, I don't want to do this forever. Just talking to myself or right. what would you say to people that feel that way? I feel that way too. I mean, but we have 32 or so episodes of Carcerum in the first season out. And by the time we got to that 25 mark, 20, I was miserable. I was really, really having a hard time because I was working so hard and it was all I was doing and, and pushing through. And there is, there is an essence to that. And I I agree, you know, at some point you want to see a return on your fun. It's, it's a hard one. I mean, there's two, two, two thoughts on it. Say if you're still having fun and you're able to maintain your, yourself doing this, if you're doing your iHeartRadio job and, and uh, it's it's sustaining you and allowing. I mean, I run like I said, I run a sound studio so I can produce these things. Running the studio is not nearly as much fun as producing the things. But I know that the my return, meaning the amount of joy I get out of producing these things, is worth the amount of work and torment I go through running the studio self-check-in self self-awareness that's all i can say is is i mean i i, I want to say keep at it i want to say keep at it keep learning keep learning you know make the connections learn how you can make you know you can get your sponsors so you can one day not do your other job and you can sustain yourself just on your podcast all of those things are 100 percent possible um, and I, I, I truly believe that anybody can be successful. I don't think that in, in the, you know, having 
money coming in because of your podcast. I think anybody can do that. I don't think everybody will do that, as we always see. But just because you're this person or that person or that person doesn't mean that you can't be successful at what you're doing. So it's a, it's it really is a personal thing, whether you're gaining enough joy out of doing the thing you're doing to, um, you know, make up for how much work and energy it is. Sort of like voiceover, I think that if you're just in it for the money, it's not going to work out for you. I think if you're in it to make money and you have a great time doing it, I think that's a much better reason to to be in doing what you're doing. But there's no magic bullet. There's, a, there's no magic switch. Um, there are people that succeed very quickly and there's no rhyme or reason to it. And then there are people that work for 10 years or 20 years and then then finally get that big break that they needed. And you never know what path you're on until you're at the end of it or you're in the middle of it when when it happens, when the, the bushes break and you're in the field. You don't know. So that's why I keep saying you got to have fun doing it while the road is hard. I Again, I, I was an actor for... I'm still an actor and... I was in New York and I knew a number of people who finally their whole dream was to make it to Broadway. All they wanted to do was be, be a Broadway actor or actress and they did it. And then that was the first and last Broadway show they did because they quit afterwards because they realized they had reached the pinnacle and they really weren't happy doing it. That was not what they wanted, but they had been working towards it for so long that they felt just so driven to do this thing. And then once it was there, it was not what made them happy. So that's why I think self-reflection is very important for all of us. Yep. They always say you never know when you're going to succeed. So if you love it, never quit. Why you don't go. you throw out that contact information again for contact information and give us some final thoughts to close it out. Uh, absolutely. It's, Carcerum the series, C-A-R-C-E-R-E-M, the series.com, or you can find it on any social media uh, at Carcerum the series or on any podcasting if you just search Carcerum. That's C-A-R-C-E-R-E-M. Um, and you can find me, Shane Salk, on Instagram, I have a Facebook page, Twitter, all those things. It's, and I make it easy. It's just S-H-A-N-E-S-A-L-K. That's it. Just Shane Salk. Um, and I just, I want to say thank you for, for having me on the show. I really enjoy this and enjoy your questions because it's, it's not all about, you know, promotion and, you know, yourself and trying to get people to hear this and hear that. I love conversations with people. And I think I, there's so many times when people are interviewing you and, and you just kind of feel that they don't, they're just throwing things out there. And I think that your questions and, and, and your audience is uh, the way that you cultivate your audience um, is really enjoyable for me. That's all. Um, I've really enjoyed this. I enjoyed it as well. I appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, check out Carcerum, the series and to all my blind and blind and the blind community. Be sure to reach out to Shane and let him know how he can improve things because he wants to hear from you. Shane, 
thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Listeners, please be sure to follow, rate, review, and share after listening. And if you are an Android listener, go to the Google Play Store and download the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast app. For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused on living the dream.